first of all, a very warm welcome to, to all of you um, for, to this second pastoral review webinar of the year. Um, as Amanda said, my name is Natalie Watson and I'm the publishing editor of the Pastoral Review. Um, this evening's event um, is sponsored by Fuller's Finer Furniture, who are bespoke quality church furniture makers, and also by Messenger Publications and um, by DM Music, who are the leading installer of sound and audiovisual audio systems in UK churches and cathedrals. Um, tonight's webinar will also be available um, as a pot. Um, in, in full on podcast, but you can also hear uh, an extract on it on YouTube, um, and uh, this will be available from Monday. Um, to, this evening, it's my great pleasure to introduce you to our speaker, Father Sean McDonough, um, with us from Ireland. Um, Father Sean is a Columban priest and eco-activist and theologian. Father Sean studied anthropology and linguistics, as well as theology, and spent a number of years um, working as a missionary in the Philippines. Since the mid-1980s, Father Sean has been writing and speaking about the importance of the connection between ecology and theology, and he was one of the first in the Catholic Church to do so. He later contributed to some of the early draftings of what became Laudato Si, and was actively involved in promoting the message of care for our common home. Um, in 2021, Father Sean published um, a book that attracted my attention and that I very much enjoyed reading, um, Robots, Ethics and the Future uh, of Jobs, which challenges Christian theologians to an urgent response to the accelerating pace of technological change and its potential consequences. So this evening, um, robots, drones, and smart churches, Catholic social teaching, and the artificial intelligence revolution. Father Sean is going to talk um, for about 20 to 25 minutes, and there's going to be an opportunity for questions and answers. So if you have any questions um, or any comments to make, um, and I hope we will have some conversation as well as listening to uh, Father Sean's talk, um, then please put them in the chat and we will raise them um, in the Q&A session. So without further ado, thank you much, uh, very much, Father Sean. Over to you. Natalie, thank you very much. And I would like to thank all the people who are listening in tonight. As you rightly said, I'm a Columban missionary. And uh, basically, I worked in the Philippines uh, from 1969 onwards. Uh, my, my first couple of years there, there was a lot of injustice with President Marcos and all of that. And the church and missionaries were very much involved in that. But then in 1980, I was asked to work among a tribal group of people called the Tiboli. And there I basically saw the destruction of a tropical forest. So it kind of changed my life very much. And I began to then talk about issues uh, like, uh, like um, ecology. My first book was The Care for the Earth a call to a new theology. When I was a student here, we had a, 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 a Columban from New Zealand, Sir Halley, and he always was saying the church should be looking out to see what kind of things are coming down the track so that we can respond to them. So about six years ago, I read a, a paper by Benedict Frey and Michael Osborne of Oxford University, talking about the impact of uh, uh, artificial intelligence 
on jobs in the future. That when a period of maybe just 20, 25 years, only 50% of people will have permanent jobs. So what kind of society is that going to be? And that's what got me interested in this whole area of, uh, of, of uh, uh, ecology or of artificial intelligence, robots, and the future of jobs. So I'd like to start, start now at slide number one. Uh, no, could we go back a, a little bit before that? Basically, I, I start the book by saying, when I was in Lake Sabrew, to call my mother, I had to spend six hours in a bus going from the Bolly world over to Davao City, because that was the only place where there was an international line at that time. So you spend six or seven hours, depending, the bus might break down. And eventually, when you get over there, you got 10 minutes to speak uh, to my parents. Very often, the call broke down, and it was very expensive. Then I'd stay with a, a missionary group and come back to Lake Cebu uh, the following day. Now, that, that's, that's extraordinary. At this time, I can call Lake Cebu regularly. So these are extraordinary changes that have taken place in our time. The next slide, please. Uh, so one of the things we have to remember is the extraordinary changes. One of the things in, when you're talking about computers right from the 1970s is Moore's law. We double our digital capacity every three to four or five years. So that means in a period of even 20 years, enormous changes are taking place. Now, some of these, these changes are, are good. The next slide, please. Uh, for example, in chapter six, I talk about AI and medicine. And I, I, go, I give the example, for example, in Holland, uh, that, that it, or in Denmark, if somebody calls in uh, to an area, uh, if, first of all, he, he talks to a doctor, but he also does a, a, an AI machine that uh, understands what he's saying, the, the way he talks and all of that, uh, so that they will understand whether he's going to get a heart attack or not. And this particular machine is 93 times, 93% of times, they will actually tell uh, the person whether he's going to have a heart attack or not. So that's, that's a huge change in medicine. The next slide, please. Uh, we'll, we'll go on to the next one. And, and next one particularly is on, on um, in the area of, of the eyesight. Next, could I have the next slide, please? Uh, so, so, uh, so, so, we'll go on to the next slide, please. So uh, they, they, they examine his words, the tone of these words, uh, at the parents' venue to express what is happening to them. Next slide, please. Uh, so that, that, that tells you what, what is going to have cardiac arrest. And 90, in 93% the, the cases are, are, are solved. And in many ways, the machine has greater power than many doctors have to do that. The next slide, please. Well, I, I give the example of eye surgery here. And I give the example of, for example, cataract operations that these new technologies are, are, are better than almost any eye sur surgeon at the moment. The next slide, please. Uh, to make these micro uh, movements needed for a delicate procedure of cataract operations. The next slide, please. Uh, and I give the example of the person there who introduced this uh, and introduced it to, to surgeons. Yes. Next slide, please. 
Another area is which is important is in this whole area of Zooming. Since uh, the pandemic arrived two years ago, people are not moving around very much, and yet we can keep in touch with people uh, by Zooming. Next slide, please. And we have even a, a term for the, the, the webinar, uh, which we use now. The point I'm making here again is the speed of change. Moore's law tells us we've doubled the processing time of computers in, the, in two to three or four years. And that's extraordinary. Now, some of the negative aspects are pretty obvious. One is AI and misogyny, and the other is racist. For example, in misogyny, uh, uh, AI is often taken to express a masculine view of the world. And part of the reason, because the people who are working on algorithms, uh, very few of them are women. In the next slide, you will see, for example, I think only 22% the um, uh, economic forum, uh, the World Economic Forum found that only 22% of jobs in AI uh, were held by women. So that is a major issue into the future and needs to be addressed. Algorithms also can be affected by racist theology. And I give an example of a person in the United States that was sent to prison because of an algorithm that contained racist ideology. Mm. Uh, one of the most important things is, of course, that these new technologies are impacting our freedom and also uh, our, our privacy. Here we have them, which most of many of us use, Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, they have secret, negative impact on uh, our privacy and our freedom. Here I talk uh, about an extraordinary book, Johanna Zuboff. She's a, uh, an American uh, uh, person who has written an extraordinary book on uh, the age of surveillance capitalism, how these companies get enormous amounts of data on us and on our very emotions. The next slide, and the next slide, talks about the, the, um, the, the, the information we get, tells customers uh, very many things about you that even me, you have may have forgotten because uh, as you put me put right on, on Google, they remember everything. And they what, what they want to do is have so much information on you that they can sell off this to people who want to sell things to you. Next slide, please. Uh, so, uh, these vast uh, have makes huge amount of money from this also. And I will, next slide will show that. Yeah. Uh, they, they want to, uh, one of the things they want to do is keep you looking at your phone all the time. They want, they, they, they want that you will continue to take those serious steps because they want to, they, they want to tell uh, people in advertising that you're all, almost certain to buy what they are what they are selling to you. The next slide. We need to see a mass movement demanding that these technologies are regulated in, this, in, the, in a good way, because almost for the, for the last 10 or 15 years, there has been very little regulation in this area. So how do they make money on us? And there's two ways that they make money on us. Every time you open Facebook, uh, the company makes money in two different ways. The first one is obvious. When you scroll through your feed, you see all kinds of ads there before. So, so immediately you, you see what can be or can, can be both there. Uh, the second is more subtle. Uh, every time you send a message uh, or a status update on Facebook or Twitter uh, or, or Google, everything you write is being scanned, sorted, and stored. That's extraordinary. 
so they're building up a profile of you so they will sell to advertisers and they they want to target you so sincerely that they will say to the advertisers you're you're bound to 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 to, uh, to order this for example if you say in, in, in an email to your mother or mother-in-law that you need to buy uh, baby's nappies well then google or some other group will send you all kinds of things about other things about babies so that you so that you can buy here so the, the, the amount of of material that they know is huge uh, and we, this need, needs to be re remedied too uh, so I'm regularly trying to distract you to get you back onto the phone again uh, I, I give the, the, the a former Google engineer uh, Tristan Harris one day heard another engineer say why don't we make the phone ring every time you get a message and that's actually what happens now uh, almost any time you get a message, the, the phone buzzes in your pocket. You take out your your your, your phone and you 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 check what's been said to you. <laughs> and they also know that if you do that, it'll take you twenty three minutes to get back to where you were before actually they made that uh, play on you. Another area which is extraordinary on 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 uh, uh, internet is hate speech, and here we have. Uh, the result of work by uh, a Facebook whistleblower, uh, Frances Hogan. She believes that Facebook knew some of the, their products were damaging to teenagers' mental health, uh, but they continue to use them. So, for example, in, in many situations, uh, women, the women's groups in Ireland say that, that what's been often said about teenage girls is extraordinarily destructive and even may lead people to commit suicide. So, at a click of a finger, your life may be destroyed. And we need serious regulation on that to, to, to protect people's privacy and their good name. And that these, these, these companies should not be allowed to, re to regularly have all the kind of data that they have on us for years on end. We need stringent laws uh, to, to address this uh, destructive behavior backed up by fines and prison sentences. Now, at the moment, there's a lot of fines, but fines are, are, are certainly not, because these, companies are making huge amounts of money. So they failed, Facebook has failed to curb hate speech. Uh, here in, in Ireland, we're introducing legislation only at the moment now. This is 10 or 15 years after these people uh, started uh, uh, doing this uh, uh, all over the world, yes. Uh, the local minister here published a bill there just the 15th of January. Uh, this year. There's also the, the abuse of power. One of the extraordinary examples of that was a British company, uh, Cambridge Analytica, uh, that used uh, Facebook uh, to see the, uh, to, to send out uh, messages to people in the, 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 the 2016 election in, in the United States. Uh, uh, Cambridge Analytica harvests the personal data of millions of, of Americans without their consent and then encourage them to vote for a particular can uh, candidate. And you know who that candidate was in the 19 2016 election. Facebook uh, uh, initially said they didn't do it, but Christopher Wiley wrote an article in the, in the Observer saying that they did in March of that year. Uh, these these uh, uh, corporations paid very little taxes. Uh, for example, uh, Amazon is a very successful company, but pays very little ta taxes. 
uh, we need down here, we need a wealth, wealth tax. These companies uh, are, are very wealthy and they can do everything. They get uh, accountants, they get, uh, they get um, solicitors to minimize their tax take. For example, in 2020, it had sales in Europe of 44 billion euro. However, Luxembourg-based unit recorded 1.2 billion loss, and so they, they paid no taxes. Elizabeth uh, uh, Warren has long fought against the, the big big banks and corporate investments in, in the United States uh, to break, break them up uh, and to tax the billionaires behind them. And we need to see more of that. She makes the point that Elon Musk, a billionaire, one of the richest people in the, uh, in the world, in 2018 paid no, no, no taxes at all, at all. And she basically said, nurses pay their taxes, uh, firefighters pay their taxes, teachers pay their taxes, and yet this extraordinary rich man didn't pay any tax. Uh, Oxfam says the same. It calls for a serious wealth tax to compel these companies uh, to, uh, uh, to, to, to... And one of the main issues, of course, in during the pandemic was we, we're focusing so much on the pandemic, we're not seeing the, the damage these people are doing. Jeff Bezos uh, of Amazon, he is estimated to be worth 177 billion euro. That's 100,000 million euro. Uh, and the, some of the work practices at Amazon are not great, as we see, as we've seen uh, in recent times. Uh, uh, in the next slide, we'll say, I, th I think it's, uh, the, the, the rate of access is twice that of other, other uh, warehouse uh, industries and 80% higher than in this average uh, for serious injuries in 2020. Uh, and now they basically said they will give their people uh, 12 euro an hour uh, for the very dangerous and men mentally exhausting work uh, of working on their shifts. So uh, AI has, all, has a huge impact on uh, unemployment uh, and not just employment uh, Certainly, middle-class employment, and that's the point uh, that uh, Benedict Frey and Michael and Michael Osborne is making. That in twenty years, forty or fifty percent of the people will not have permanent jobs, and therefore, what's going to happen? And we need to be focused on this pretty hugely at the moment. Uh, the, the, next, the next slide, uh, please. Uh, and unfortunately, academics or religious leaders or even politicians are not giving this as much consideration to these issues as is needed at the time. I gave you the example of, uh, of Benedict Prey and Michael Osborne, uh, rectors of that institute in, 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 uh, in uh, Oxford, are arguing that many uh, well-paid middle-class jobs will also be at risk too. Uh, I, uh, I deal with that, for example, in my book, Chapter 10, and I say we, we will need to look at particularly uh, universal basic income, because if you have 40% or 50% of your people who have no jobs, how are they going to live in a modern society? Uh, it's also killing journalism. This is very important to all of us. Uh, in 2020, the Australian government demanded that, that these companies pay uh, for the media co content they, they use. And they point out that for every 100 uh, dollars spent on online advertising, 47 goes to, uh, dollars goes to Google and 24 to Facebook, and a mere pittance to everyone else. Uh, 
and that's having a huge impact uh, on, on, on other publications. In 2018, Google made $4.7 billion for the content of material that, that came from other institutions. Uh, so uh, Facebook and uh, Google now control 60% of the global advertising market. Journalists and media groups who research and report on the data, both locally and globally, get a pin pittance into the future. And that's ha having a major impact uh, on newspapers. Many of them are closing down uh, and people are not reading them. And that also is going to have a major impact uh, on, uh, on democracy, because if you don't have good journalism, you're in a real issue. And I'm sure uh, people in, in the tablets and the pastor you are also affected by this development, which is unwise. So the destruction of, uh, we have negative, negative impact on democracy because it's very dangerous. People, very powerful tools uh, to, to support authoritarian regimes. And that's actually happening at the moment, as we saw with the Trump administration, and as we're unfortunately seeing in Westminster today. Uh, and anti we need to break off these companies, uh, to restructure them, bre break up these monopolies to foster competition. So basically, those, those are the kinds of issues that I deal with in the book. I also deal with the impact on, on, on farming. Uh, I have a, a chapter on the impact on war, which is, could be horrendous. So that's basically some of the materials, and I'm sure many of you would have many questions to ask at this time. Well, thank you very much, um, Father Sean, for um, basically drawing a map for us of the, the world that we um, live in, uh, the different factors, the impact of artificial intelligence, of um, some of those um, elements that we've mentioned, robots, drones, large companies, the impact on jobs. Um, uh, in, in our title, we had a um, uh, I use this phrase, smart churches. I wonder if you could tell us a bit more how this impacts on the life of the church um, and how Christians, Catholics should respond to it. How can we actually live responsibly in this, uh, in, in this world of artificial intelligence or in this smart new world? Well, for me, it would be very important that uh, the church in each area begins to take this seriously. Now, one of the issues are uh, the, the generation that's using this are not my generation. They're much younger people. So the church needs to ha have structures where they can have real dialogue, kind of the thing we talk in, in, the, in the synod about these sort of issues. And what kind of steps can they set up, for example, in their own parishes or countries? Like, for example, that, that the documentation now in, 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 the, in, in our parliament, Dolairn, uh, about this, this new um, technologies, how much have come in for church groups that are reflecting on this? And this is the thing they have to do all the time. They have to begin to put pressure on politicians. If you're going to regulate them, how are you going to regulate, regulate them? Uh, so it's central to, to organize uh, groups in church that actually also know a lot about these issues and actually also gain over the years in developing how these things are going to work. And also 
to be looking at, as, as I, I said, uh, Benedict Fraze and Michael Osborne thing was what set me off on this journey six years ago. What is the impact going to be on, the, uh, on, on work? And that's why I said the pandemic has not been great because the pandemic has taken our, our eyes off these very serious issues. And we're, we're concentrating on, uh, on, and understandably, uh, people not getting sick and that our medical uh, uh, staff are able to deal with, with, uh, with the pandemic. But we really need, and the same would happen then right through the churches. And, and, and very much, this has not been a Catholic church issue. This should be an issue of all the Christian churches and all, basically all the churches, all, 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 like Islam, because everyone is going to have to deal with this into the future. Thank you very much. We've got a question here from Ellen. Um, we can't really turn the clock back. Um, what specific new regulation would you like to see? Well, I would, I'd like to see regulation, for example, on how long these companies can keep data on me, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so that, that, that's one of the years. I'd also, for example, if the tablet publishes very derogatory stuff on myself, uh, I can take the person who wrote it uh, to, to, uh, to, to, uh, to court but I can also take the tablet to court or, or the Times or whatever it is. Whereas these, in, these institutions are, are, are presenting themselves in a slightly different, that they're just a platform. But is that, is that sufficient? And given, given the extraordinary amount of money that they're making, I think they, they, they must, we must be insisting that they, uh, they, they do it in a, in, in, much, in a much clearer way. And I'd also, uh, Elizabeth Warren stuff, that they have to break up these, these companies are extraordinarily powerful at the moment and they have to be broken up. We did it with the railways, we did it with the banks in the 19th century. So it's, it's not that we don't know how to do this, but we have let these companies away. Uh, like, does anyone know how long, how much information has Google and me or, or somebody else? And I, I, think, I, I think they should not be allowed to hold information beyond six months, for example. Thank you. Uh, we've also got a question here from Anthony. Um, what should the church be doing to address the attacks on individual identity and freedom from consolidated data mining and exploitation? Well, I, I think, first of all, we need to be aware of it. I'd be aware of a central issue. What I'm basically saying, this is going to be a central issue for our living into the future because these technologies are so powerful for us and we all use them very often. But we must make sure that they're, that they're done in a way that promotes the common good, and not just promotes uh, the, the good of, of, of the of these uh, institutions. Mm -hmm. And you know, so, in any, in every single case, you would have to look look at it quite in a quite quite different way. Uh, so, so, so it's general to give an overall thing, but engagement is center and and expertise. The people who are involved in it must have some expertise to be able to take on. These extraordinary companies, because as I said to you, you know that, that the man who who talked about introducing the bell every time you get an, an email or, or, or phone call, and in a sense getting you back onto the phone, he he knew because they have extraordinary, uh, well-developed people, engineers working for them, so they knew what's going to get you back onto the phone, and 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 keep you there for another hour. Thank you. Um, 
One, one question I have, uh, you've talked about big international companies, um, but there's obviously also the involvement of uh, states in the affairs of, of other states and issues of human rights abuses. Um, for example, um, I mean, I grew up uh, many years ago in East Germany. I can remember the Stasi bugging my parents' home. Um, but I always say to people, well, the Stasi only had pen and paper, but now I'm hearing about facial recognition um, and about uh, the abuse of uh, the Uyghurs of social credit systems in China. Um, could you say a bit more about the human rights implications and uh, which is obviously a central concern of um, Catholic theology and Catholic social teaching? Oh, it is. One of the things that Francis Hogan brought to the table, and it's interesting, she makes the point she, she, she was willing to be a whistleblower because she had time to discuss uh, these issues with her mother, who is uh, an Anglican priest or a priest. So that was some. But she also gave examples. I just gave examples of the way they have, they're misusing the presentation of, uh, of uh, women's uh, uh, issues in, in by Facebook. But she also gave what what Facebook has done in in the the Middle East, and also has done in in African countries that has has been quite problematic. And that's one of the reasons why she became a whistleblower. So uh, again, we need to know what's happening, know the impact of these companies right around the world and make sure that they're, they're held responsible and, and that the laws now are designed in such a way that they can be held responsible and not just that they're giving, you know, a uh, hundred million uh, euros or dollars, because as I said, the, the money they're making is huge. I'd like to see laws being enacted that many of these people go to jail as they would in other spheres of life if they break the law. Thank you. We've got a question here from Patricia. Can we discuss the issues of fake news, fake theology and fostering conflict and division? Well, again, again, yeah, like that's the point I made at the end of the presentation. Uh, if journalism is is undermined completely, uh, who do we trust trust into the future? And I think that's a major issue. I mean, I was just looking at, for example, in Britain last week, uh, the, uh, the the BBC uh, are, are they going to get some extra money into the future to make sure that there isn't hate, hate speech or that uh, fake news? And as I say, if, if journalism is undermined. That itself would be a major issue into the future. And I think uh, all Christian churches and all, all religions ha have a very important role to play here that we're actually giving people uh, what we believe is the, is the truth and that they can believe us into the future. But again, you're going to need people uh, who are competent in this area uh, to, to, to lead these kind of discussions. But it's also going to be more important for people, for, for local community to understand what is happening and, uh, uh, and try to, to, to dissuade these companies for being used in this way. Thank you very much. Um, and we've got a question from Ellen. Um, this is uh, taking us into a, a different area, but a really important one, um, I think. Um, 
How concerned are you about robotic warfare, such as planning by the military sector for widespread use of drones in conflict? Well, I, one of the chapters in uh, in robots is, is actually on uh, on uh, uh, on warfare, and in, in in a sense, for me, it was the most chilling chapter of all, because what it actually means is like until now, if you're going to have a war, First World War, Second World War. You had to go, and even the, what's happening in uh, in the Ukraine at the moment, you have 100,000 soldiers on one side of the border or the other. That's not going to be the way into the future. You couldn't launch your drone for 500 miles away or 5,000 miles away. And so uh, you could have a permanent war going on globally. Again, if, 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 if uh, these robots are allowed to continue. Now, in the past, we, we have tried to, to uh, limit areas of uh, the things we, we use in, in, in conflict. Uh, but we're going to have to think seriously about not having drones being used uh, in warfare, because if it does, it, it can start wars just about everywhere. And, and there's no involvement. <laughs> You're not being taken out yourself, uh, or, or there's no danger. So uh, as I say, as I was reading the book, uh, as I was writing the book, I felt that was a chapter that, uh, again, people, politicians, religious people would need to talk about and see that, that, that what, what's been promised here could be very destructive for global society almost everywhere. Thank you. Yes, and it's presumably also something where there's still a potential for error and for, um, yeah, for things to go wrong or things to go off accidentally. And um, so thank you very much. Um, one, one question I have uh, that uh, I, I would be interested to hear more about is um, about this question of universal basic income and, and work. Um, I and mean, work, obviously, again, one of the central themes of, uh, or, or one of the important themes of um, Catholic social teaching. Um, and this proposal of universal basic income has been made quite widely, I mean, the Pope, um, as far as I know, makes it in, in Fratelli Tutti yeah, yeah. Um, as well. Uh, but and, and some countries, I think, are now trying uh, this out. I think Finland has has tried it, and then there are others who um, want to question it and say, is it a disincentive for for some to work? Uh, I wonder if you could say if you could uh, say more about your thinking. Well, I, again, I, I addressed that in chapter ten. Uh, I think that's very central to my whole argument. If we take uh, Benedict Fry's and Michael Osborne's prediction that you might have 50% of your people not in permanent employment, how are they going to live? Uh, what kind of society would that produce if there, uh, if there are 40 or 50 people without jobs? And we, we, we know almost for the last century what kind of a society will produce because uh, uh, th these people will have no commitment for society into the future. So. I think it is essential that we begin to think of other ways of helping people to live in this uh, in this world. Uh, now, one of the, the, the value, so basically, I, I look at uh, what people are saying in uh, uh, on basic income, uh, and I look in various in various countries what people are, are doing about it, and I look at, at the Irish experiences, uh, uh, and I, I find, first of all, that. This money will, will be will be very useful for people living 
It will also mean, for me, I make points, it can mean that people will live outside of cities. Uh, in, the, in the last number of years, uh, in many situations, people have been moving to the cities to get enjoyment or to get uh, work and employment there. But that may not happen into the future. People could, could move to, uh, to the smaller towns and smaller cities, and they could also then work with, with other people to, to do various kinds of things, and particularly uh, through parishes or dioceses uh, and, and, and across the, uh, the religious ground between, uh, between Anglicans and, uh, and the, the World Council of Churches and, uh, and the Catholic Church. So I think there's all kinds of possibilities. And one of the things about it is it would produce greater levels of community. And if you, if, you, if you produce greater levels of community, there are people are involved in your society at, at, at that level, then that's for the good of everyone. It's for the good of teachers, of, of medical people, uh, that, that the society is responding as a society and promoting common good as much as it can to the future. And I, I, I think that from what I, I've written in that in, in that. Uh, uh, that, that chapter, chapter 10, that, that, that it will be possible in, in societies. But we're going to have to think seriously of what I said in my presentation, that the likes of Jeff Bezos, who's worth 170 billion, that he is seriously taxed into the future, uh, as Elon Musk is. He wasn't taxed in 2018. And that's a problem we've had with taxation for the last number of, of decades. Uh, to keep it as low as possible. But in, in, in many situations, we're going to have to sort of tax people who are wealthy at the moment. Because if we don't, we'll get the, the extraordinary reality of 40% of your people being without work and not a very, not a very uh, good society to, to live in. How would it be funded? Well, what, what, oh, sorry, it'll be, be funded uh, by, by the state, by, by, by levels of tax taxation. And I, I give the figures there uh, uh, from, from, from Ireland, Sean Healy's uh, work that he has done over the years on it. Uh, it will, will take a, a bit of extra money from tax. Like for example, in, in Ireland until, until, until now, uh, our tax, taxation for corporations was 12.5%, which is extraordinary. Now we've got, we're, 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 we're supposed to take it up to 15% uh, going on from here. But, why, why, why couldn't there be 20 or 25 percent? I mean, teachers are, are, and doctors and people in firefighters, they're, they're paying serious levels of taxes, 30, 35, 40 percent. So why shouldn't, why shouldn't the rich do it also? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Uh, we've got a question here um, from Mary uh, or a comment um, going back to this question of regulation. An issue is the inability of national governments to agree internationally processes of regulation, scrutiny and taxation. Even within the EU, some countries give favourable tax rates to encourage these tech companies to base themselves in that country. Um, how uh, can we encourage uh, to see local benefits as opposed to uh, the international aspects? Well, she's very right. I mean, uh, Ireland has been very poor in this area. As I said, we're, our, 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 our corporate taxes, is, it was 12.5%. And so a lot of these corporations actually, for, our, for, 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 for Europe and Africa, they're, they're situated here in Dublin. You know? mm -hmm. 
and have you seen too much? Uh, very few of them have have been fined here at all, uh, even though th there are uh, many groups of people who are finding as how how these these corporations operate is problematic in the extreme. So, uh, but I really do feel we're going to have to get to, to, together in, in some ways. We've done it in ways we handle uh, data on people into the future in Europe, but we haven't done it in the United States uh, uh, of America. And I think we're going to have to get international uh, agreements that this is the way we handle these institutions, because otherwise they will, they do exactly what, what I said in, in the end of my, they don't pay taxes and uh, they move around, uh, uh, they, 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 all the benefits they can get from a the country, they take them, uh, but they're not involved in any of uh, supporting the building up of a genuine uh, peaceful society. So I think we're, I th and then I think pe people should put pressure on politicians. We, we need this, <laughs> these kind of changes into the future, or otherwise these, the, these groups will, will grow bigger. Uh, for example, they have more, the, the pandemic has <laughs> increased their profits dramatically in the, in the last two years. Are we taking that into account? You know. Thank you. Um, you've raised in, in the context of, um, uh, of, of the universal basic income issues of uh, justice for all of equal access to, to work. Um, one of the issues I think that we've seen through the pandemic in, um, in a context where um, in, in many ways access to the digital world and to digital communication has been embraced um, so, so readily um, by, by everybody. Certainly children were being educated online, um, uh, churches were going online and are online. Um, uh, so um, I'm wondering whether an that doesn't also raise issues around a digital divide. You've talked about the injustice around gender um, and mm. around race. I wonder if you could say something about um, equality of access. Mm. Um, well, again, in, in the book, I deal with the fact that uh, a lot of education is taking place online right now. But I have very serious problems with it. Uh, the, because uh, the reality of what kind of education is that going to give to people? I mean, the reality is we were social animals. Uh, and okay, even my Zoom, uh, I talked about Zooming, well, it's good, but in many ways, I much prefer to be talking to a live, a live audience. And I think that's also, so we're going to be very careful. And, and I've, in, in, my, in, in the book, I, I quote quite a lot of teachers that say, well, yes, obviously areas will be, a lot of education will take place in these areas of the past. But in no way must we say that all education is going to take place in this way because it actually won't work for them. And you could have that uh, divide that people who may be bright and can do this uh, will, will succeed, but those who can't will not succeed. And I think, and the same is true of the churches. We're going to have to, we're going to have to think seriously as the pandemic comes to a close. What about the future of, of worship? Because it is a worship of a community. And just streaming masses from places, uh, it's been helpful in uh, in this time. And predictive, it was helpful to people. Uh, my my own brother died in the middle of it, uh, so people were able to to to, to be, take part in the funeral by actually uh, by by streaming it. But I have very serious issues about streaming things into the future. It's not the way 
community and what the, the Eucharist means to people, certainly in the early centuries, uh, what, 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 what it meant. So I'd have, I, I, in the book, I, I, I talk about a lot of areas where I would be as problematic about education and, uh, and uh, our religious uh, celebrations just taking place online, yeah. Uh, we've got an interesting question here from Leslie. Um, there seems to be a time lag of about 10 years with church leaders and politicians understanding the speed of this digital revolution. Mm -hmm. How can this be tackled by them? Can we help? Well, I think we could, again, like, to, to, like if I was involved in, in a, a diocese, I, I, I'm almost every place at the moment in uh, in Britain, here in Ireland, there are people who are knowledgeable about these issues and that are Christian, but they have no context in which to share this uh, because we don't see it as important. I mean, he's making a very true point. If, if I went into a parish in Britain and said, what are the most important issues uh, that you think are on the table at the moment? Would many of them bring, bring up uh, AI and, and, and the use of, of uh, it's artificial uh, technologies, they wouldn't. But in actual fact, they're a major issue. So I would hope, to be fair, Pope Francis has, has talked about this quite, quite often, mm -hmm. and, uh, and the Vatican is very open to this, but it's not making its way down through the ranks of the church. And it does have to be like that locally. That's, that's the, like, I'd like to see people talking now, coming out of, of, uh, of the pandemic, but yes, what about, church meetings in the future for Eucharist? Or, 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 or what, how can we make sure that people are educated in a way that take, takes them seriously as being embodied creatures as they are? And particularly helping those uh, who maybe have slight levels of problem, problems in these areas. So uh, I'd like to see, uh, I'd like to see local churches, dioceses developing this capacity into the future. And the only way you're going to do it is through dialogue and the, the synodality. That's a central issue of synodality in the future. Thank you very much. Um, I, uh, we, have, we have a question as well from Irene who says, are there ways for parishes or churches to use AI for their benefit or even for their growth? Um, oh, yeah. sure there are, yeah. They're, they're, well, they're, they're doing it at the moment. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, I mean, to, to be fair, it was, it was with the pandemic, it, it was truly good that uh, they, they, they could stream uh, services regularly to people who, who uh, find this very, very helpful in their lives. So they, they could, and, and parishes will also find, I mean, I can't give all the answers here because parishes will find if they sit around and, be, and discuss some of these issues. For example, one of the issues I, I would see in a lot of places here is uh, in, Housing is, is a major issue in mm. Ireland at the moment, and yet there's a lot of houses that are, are not being used. So how how could local parishes begin to begin to address these issues to get, to get these houses up up to standard so that people could live in them? Well, obviously, uh, artificial intelligence will help us a lot a lot to know how we how we can do that sort of thing. So, but a, a lot of creativity must be used also by the people. We're going to use this to address the problems that are in our area uh, for younger people, for middle-aged people, for el elderly people as well. 
Thank you very much. Um, we do also have a question here um, addressing the book. You've told us a lot about your book. And um, as Amanda said, the book is also available um, for, for those of you who want to continue to engage uh, with, with these questions. Um, it's available at a 10% discount um, uh, via the Church House Bookshop website. Um, uh, Father Sean, what has drawn you to write your book? Well, as I said, uh, when, when I was a student here in Dalgan more than 50 years ago, we had a, an extraordinary uh, professor from New Zealand, uh, Cyril Halley, and he basically said, we should be watching out what are the new issues that are, that are appearing at this time and try to learn something about it. And when I read Benedict Craig's and Michael Osborne's book uh, six or seven years ago, I said, this is an important area and I need to know something about it. So basically, I started to read it, and I, f I found it particularly the book uh, of Johanna Zuboff, mm -hmm. that uh, the age of surveying capitalism, because she captures 600 pages in this book. She captures the, the extraordinary dimension of this and how problematic it is into the future. So, so basically, I said I, I'd like to uh, share my kind of understanding of this and to get people talking about it and acting on it, rather than. I don't have all the answers, but uh, but uh, many people will have the answer. Will will have answers, answers that may sometimes be helpful, and other times we will have to discard. So this is this is an extraordinary experiment at the at the moment. But I but that's the way we Christians should live, responding to what the issues are, so that we can create a society uh, uh, that that. Uh, where people can live together in peace and prosperity. Thank you very much. Um, you've in some ways painted quite a scary picture of um, a, a what to me looks in many ways like a dehumanized world. Um, and yet the creation of humanity is at the at the heart of of creation and as is the incarnation um, uh, in, in the Christian story, is the end result or, or, you know, one of the ways how this brave new world or the, the world in which artificial intelligence for good or for ill is, is part of our lives, will human beings become replaceable or dispensable? No, I would hope not. But again, to go back to uh, Zubov's book, The Age of Surveillance Capitalism, and the, the subtitle, the, 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 uh, the fight for a human future at the new frontiers of power. That's what I'm talking about. And that's what she talks about for 650 pages. So mm -hmm. there are people thinking seriously about these issues. I'd like to see them in local situations and particularly people with a Christian uh, understanding of or a religious understanding of life, seeing this as part of their religious experience into the future. And it's, it will be most exciting. If you're asking young people, what are ways you might you will contribute to your community? This is certainly one of one of the ways we can do it. If we forget this and forget the ethical issues involved in it, and let the companies drive their own agenda, which is which is actually profits, then it will be scary into the future. That's my issue. That's that's what I tried to say in my book. And again, as a lot of it, I'm reflecting Johanna uh, Zuboff's concerns, but and and 
framing them within the context of religious concerns and, and, and ethical concerns also. Right? She's very good on the ethical concerns. But I'm saying, as a Christian, these, this, is the, this is where we should be today, because these are the issues uh, that we need to, to, to develop an expertise on them and bring about change that helps everyone, not just a few. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. You've certainly challenged me to rethink using Amazon, um, and uh, which is a big local employer here. Um, uh, and if I could take you back, you uh, we talked at the beginning about your work as uh, your your concern with ecology. You um, were a trailblazer and in the conversation between um, ecology and and theology in the eighties and and through the nineties, leading up to um, uh, to Laudato Si. We've got a question here from Ellen. How sympathetic are you to the concerns of indigenous groups that they will be sacrificed? Um, that they would be sacrificed as communities having minerals taken from their land for new transition technologies? Well, I'm very worried about it. Basically, I, I, I spent 15 of the best years of my life working with the Tiboli people in, 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 in Mindanao. And I saw uh, what state governments can do uh, in that area. Uh, we have an extraordinary uh, thing at the moment uh, with uh, the electrification of cars, with the important area of, of, of uh, uh, how, how we're going to do this with, with cobalt, and mm -hmm. basically areas in the, the, in, the, in, in the Congo are being used, and, and, and the local people are, are basically losing their land. So I'm, I'm very upset by anything like that, uh, and particularly uh, that would undermine uh, tribal groups, because one of the awful things uh, in the moment that I learned in this school is that the, the impact is that on these indigenous uh, communities, even losing their language. And I know as an Irish person what, what that, that actually means. So, so we, we, in some ways, uh, in the Philippines, the, the Filipino church is more focused on uh, tribal people now than they were when I worked in the Philippines almost 30 years ago. But for me, it was a very, very central issue that that, that their, 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 their livelihood is not destroyed to, to uh, make sure we can continue our, our uh, uh, exploitation of the earth. And so though, a lot of those areas are, are, are up for grabs. And in a sense, the, our, our new technology is telling us the, the other impact of that. We're living uh, in, in the sixth largest extinction of life since life began. And in our in, in 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 this century, we could wipe wipe out a million species, which would be an extraordinary awful reality for planet for life on planet Earth. So those are issues, and the indigenous people are some of the few people that are have have have, have guarded their the, their lands in the past. And if those are taken from them now, I would be very 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 upset. And uh, and I, I remember myself, in the Philippines. When off, I'd often exchange, uh, say that in the beginning to people who were living in the lowlands, they didn't seem to have much respect for, uh, the, for the life of indigenous people and, and, their, and their land and their forests. And so it has, it has brought about catastrophic changes to the Philippines in which I went. I hardly any one of the, of the, of the step, seven different forests are, are, are available. And, and the extraordinary lack of that into the future. I, like I, we come from Northern Hemisphere, for example, in Ireland, I think we have 26 varieties of trees 
which are indigenous to this country. Where I lived in Lake Cebu, you could get a hundred different species of trees in a single hectare. I mean, here was a really rich country uh, and Ireland's quite a poor country, but the reality is that that's not how it's seen. So the forests are gone, uh, the coral reefs, so coral, and living into the future will be very difficult for people. Mm -hmm. So that, that's the other side of my concerns. And the technology has been part of that. And we have to understand how technology is doing this into the future. And, 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 and we can't say, well, we, we, we have to let the technology because it's, it's, the, it's, it's the newest technology in town and let it, let it rip and uh, let, let the companies make as much money as they want to. Sorry, I wouldn't agree with that at all. Thank you very much. We're coming towards the end of our, um, uh, of our webinar this evening. Um, uh, a very, very big thank you to you, Father Sean, um, for um, uh, taking us uh, into um, a new way of looking at um, uh, something that is in so many ways already part of our daily lives and, and looking at it um, from the point of view of, of Christian theology and uh, raising this as a concern. Um, this is obviously going to continue to be part of our conversation, part of our theological conversation. Um, uh, I also think part of our synod conversation. We've got a comment here from Mike who says, uh, who asks, um, so should the synod help? Um, uh, so here I think is a question for all of us to to continue to think about um, and thank you very much for starting some of our thinking off um, and for engaging in, in conversation with, with us. Um, uh, so thank you and, and thank you to our sponsors again this evening who made this evening possible. Um, this evening was sponsored by Fuller's Finer Furniture who are bespoke quality church furniture makers also by Messenger Publications, who are also the publishers of um, the book we've been talking about, Robots, Ethics and the Future of Jobs, um, and uh, also by DM Music, who are the leading installer of sound and audiovisual systems to UK churches and cathedrals. Um <laughs>